This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. Think about the times in your life when you've had to reimagine your future. Maybe it was leaving school and starting your career, or changing your career. Often, during these transitional times, we're faced with many options, and we're concerned about making the right decision. But many times, there's not a clear map for which path will lead to success. Our guest on this episode of Talking Business Now is Tina Selig, the author of What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20, a crash course on making your way in the world. Tina, who is a professor of the practice at the School of Engineering at Stanford, encourages us to toss out old models and old rules, and she provides a model for reaching our potential. In our world, there are really many fewer rules, real hard and fast rules than we think. And if you look at most people who have been successful, you will see that they have found their way to that spot, usually through a circuitous path. They've found some shortcuts or they've taken some long cuts <laughs> uh, to get to that path. And that usually there's a recipe that people put out in front of you for how to get in college, how to run for political office, how to make a movie, whatever it is you want to do. But if you really look at those people who've been successful, you'll find they rarely followed that path. And that if we think of most rules as recommendations as opposed to hard and fast, uh, you end up realizing that there are many other ways to get to your objective. Tina's model has applications for students, entrepreneurs, business executives, and others who want to throw out old assumptions for achieving success, who want to discover how to have a healthy disregard for the impossible, or learn a new approach for recovering from failure, and to be able to spot opportunity in challenges. Stay tuned. Talking business now with Tina Selig about creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship, and life lessons. All highlights from the book, What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. Welcome, Tina. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Well, first of all, congratulations on the 10th anniversary of the book. Uh, from everything that I've been able to see, it really has withstood the test of time. You'd think sometimes in a fast-paced world that we live in that something written 10 years ago may be obsolete by now, but it really has stood up to all the changes. And in fact, its messages have become even more powerful and relevant. What inspired you to write the book in the first place, and what's new in the 10th anniversary edition? The book was inspired initially by the fact that my kid was going off to college, and I basically panicked. I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, he's learned all these academic things in school, but so many really important life lessons are not taught. It's, I started out really just with a list, a, a Word doc on my computer, 
And uh, eventually, I was asked to give a talk for a business leadership program at Stanford. And I uh, used this list for inspiration and created a talk called What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. And that talk gained a lot of attention. And eventually, after giving it in so many places, I thought, you know what, I should probably turn this into a book. And I feel so fortunate that my publisher gave me the go-ahead to do a 10-year edition. I Probably about 30% of the material is new. I've been able to build upon concepts. Obviously, I have, I have 10 years more experience. And I've updated many of the examples and cases in the book so that it's much more relevant for someone who's uh, turning 20 now than <laughs> yes. someone 10 years ago. The book puts you to work right away in the first chapter. So tell us about the $5 project and what its significance is. Yeah, I love the fact that you said it puts you to work. I love that. I mean, I've never had anyone say that to me before, but you're right. The book opens up with a question, an assignment, essentially, mm -hmm. the same assignment I gave my students, which is, what would you do to earn money if all you had was $5 and two hours? And, you know, that is the limit of the assignment. There were no other constraints. There were no other rules, just $5, two hours, three minutes to present in class, You've got a week to plan, but as soon as you open that envelope, you've got two hours to make as much money as possible. This assignment was inspired by the fact that I was teaching the brand new design school or D school at Stanford, and I was asked to teach one week uh, about entrepreneurship, and I thought, what could I do in one week? Mm -hmm. So I decided to create this experience. Now, I knew you could do something, right? I knew you could have a lemonade stand or a car wash or a bake sale. I knew with $5, you could do something. Mm -hmm. But I was blown away by the way the students reframed the problem and looked at it from different angles to really unlock tremendous potential. And that's really what entrepreneurship is about. Absolutely. It's about looking at problems from different perspectives in order to see the opportunities that are in our midst. So the ones who are most successful, what is it that they did differently? Uh, you mentioned that some of them reframed the problems. Right. So the ones who did something differently, in fact, there were a couple of teams, there were 14 teams, a couple, you know, did a car wash or a bake sale, and they were so much less successful than the students who basically realized that that $5 was actually a limitation and that their skills and the opportunities in their midst were worth much more than $5. So they essentially put aside the $5 and said, what can I do in two hours? to earn as much money as possible, basically starting with nothing. And they realized, well, gee, there are all these kids biking around campus who need air in their tires. Let's set up a bike uh, pumping station in the middle of the you know, campus right near the student union. Mm -hmm. Now, at first, they thought they were taking advantage of their classmates because <laughs> they could go around the corner and go to the gas station. But guess what? They weren't at the gas station. They were in the middle of campus. Mm -hmm. And they started charging them $5 to pump up their, their tires. And amazingly, uh, halfway through, they made the decision to do an experiment and just ask for donations, and people gave them much more. Really? So they ended up walk. Yeah, um, they walked away with two hundred dollars at the end of a uh, couple of hours. Uh, other teams realized that there were these incredibly long lines at busy restaurants in, on Saturday nights. So they started making reservations at all the restaurants, and then realized that they could sell those reservations as their time came up. They again experimenting along the way realized the girls in the class were much better at selling the reservations and it worked better with reservations where they gave those little buzzers, you know, something mm -hmm, that tells you when mm -hmm. the rest, because it was something very tangible they could trade. Right. And so they learned a tremendous amount of, along the way and uh, walked away again with over $200.
in a couple hours. What is the overall lesson to our business listeners here today from that exercise? The insight is that there are opportunities are abundant. They're around us all the time, everywhere, and you need to basically pick up your head and look. The students realize there should never be a time where they're walking around saying, I don't have any money, I, there's, I don't have anything, because all you have to do is look around and say, well, gee, maybe people would pay me to deliver them coffee, or maybe I should take, you know, I could take photos somewhere and sell it to people, that there are all sorts of opportunities everywhere, and that it's up to you to find them. And let's, let's turn that on its head. And, okay, there's opportunity, but there's also failure. In fact, we live in a culture where failure is embraced. And some people say that we are maybe going too far along that line. But you see failure in a different way. In fact, you require your students to keep what you term a failure resume. Talk to us about that. I think nobody wants to fail and no one wants to invest in a failure. But people in environments that are very innovative know that there are going to be a lot of surprises. Some of them are not happy surprises. Some of them are very happy Mm -hmm. surprises. But there are going to be surprises along the way. And I like to think of failure as data. And it's super important to mine that data every single day. So keeping a failure resume allows you to look at the things that, you know, you think of the, the flip side of your traditional resume where you're looking at all your successes. Well, let's look at the things that didn't work out as you hoped and really mine them for lessons, for insights. That's the key. I've learned in my own life, and I know from my students' perspective, when they keep a failure resume, not only do they move on from that failure much more quickly, but they're much less likely to repeat it again. Another thing that you talk about are rules. You know, there's people in, in the world who are rule followers and rule breakers. And, and again, you see things a little bit differently sometimes. And you call rules uh, recommendations. Can you explain that? Well, I do believe this. I think that <laughs> in our world, there are really many fewer rules, real hard and fast rules than we think. And if you look at most people who have been successful, you will see that they have found their way to that spot, usually through a circuitous path. They've found some shortcuts or they've taken some long cuts (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. to get to that path. And that usually there's a recipe that people put out in front of you for how to get in college, how to run for political office, how to make a movie, whatever it is you want to do. But if you really look at those people who have been successful, you'll find they rarely followed that path. And that if we think of most rules as recommendations as opposed to hard and fast, uh, you end up realizing that there are many other ways to get to your objective. And one of the other things that you talk about, and it's in your chapter called Please Take Out Your Wallets, and that's actually a very personal uh, chapter to you. And that is uh, when we wait for others to give us permission. And what, what are the repercussions of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that you uh, are talking about the situation with my father. Yes. Was that? Yes. yes, in your business so, card. Exactly. So um, my father is a very, was very successful executive. And the way he got there was every couple of years, he got a promotion. And he lived in a world where you wait for other people to anoint you. You wait for other people to say, hey, great, you did a good job. Here's a promotion. Here's a raise. The most amazing thing happened when I started my first company is I made up my own little business cards. And they said, Tina Seelig, 
PhD president. Mm-hmm. And I showed them to my dad, and he got mad at me. I was just so <laughs> baffled. He said, I, you just can't call yourself president. And I thought, that's just the most amazing thing, <laughs> is that you realize entrepreneurs are those people who essentially make their own business cards. They, instead of waiting for someone to put the ladder in front of them, they sort of put themselves at the top of the ladder and then build the ladder underneath them. And it's a very, very different mindset to realize that you don't have to wait to be anointed. You don't have to wait for someone else to tell you you can do something. Uh, an example comes from my writing my first book. I, I clearly remember when I started working on my first book, and it was on the chemistry of cooking. I am a scientist by training, and I realized I knew in great depth what was happening in my lab, but not in my kitchen. And I was super curious and started making a list of all the questions I had. It was at a time when it was very difficult to find out the science of the of cooking, of the chemistry that was happening in your kitchen. And uh, I said, gosh, I, I should write a book. And I had friends of mine who said, well, what makes you think you can write a book? I thought, well, I said I can write a book. I mean, right. I mean, that's exactly, I'm going to do this. But we are so often faced with people who tell us we can't do things and also the voices in our own head. And I just love to encourage people to give themselves permission to do the things they want to do, at least to try it, because you never know unless you try. Now, what would you say to some of our listeners who may be in management or some sort of a a leadership position within their company, or, or maybe they're not, maybe that's what they aspire to, but the structure of their organization is very rigid and, uh, it, it may not be as easy to give yourself permission. What would you say to them? Well, there are lots of ways to handle this. In fact, I, I deal with this topic with my students all the time because they get taught uh, to essentially take risks and to be creative and to really look at bold opportunities. And then they go into companies and find themselves in a very stifling roles. And I tell them, you know, there are several things you can do. One is you can do some little experiments to test your ideas in a way that you basically don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. (laughs) But the fact is, do those experiments and show some data that what you're working on is going to be successful, and then, you know, you're more likely to get support. In fact, as one of my colleagues says, uh, said, I thought it was brilliant, he said, asking for permission just transfers the risk to someone else. So if you're willing to take that risk yourself and be willing to live with the consequences, you can do an experiment. The other thing is find like-minded people in the organization. There are probably other people tucked away in different places who also have bold ideas and find that you find your tribe and see if you can work together on some new exciting initiatives. And three, honestly, you can choose to leave. And if an organization isn't a good fit, I super, I very frequently recommend people go and start exploring other possibilities. You talk about uncertainty being a gift. Entrepreneurs, uh, especially the world that I'm from, you know, you read you read the uh, satisfaction index or the uh, these different economic indexes that measure uh, obstacles for entrepreneurs and why they may or may not spend or hire a new person. And usually, the thing in a in a kind of a dicey uh, economic time that that rises to the top is uncertainty. That that is what they are most concerned about. Uh, it's our number one problem, but you call it a gift. Yes, I think it's incredibly important to reframe the uncertainty 
in our lives as a gift because would you really want a script for your life? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think those people who live in, the, in parts of the world where they don't have options and they have a lack of uncertainty, where they have just clear certainty about what their life is going to look like, are really unhappy. Lord. I believe that uncertainty opens up the door to possibilities, and it never ends. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm in my 60s and early 60s, and, you know, I talk to my friends, and we all are still exploring, all mm-hmm. basically saying, hey, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? And that's exciting. And to realize when you're in every stage in your life that uncertainty is there um, providing opportunities as opposed to constraints. I still get up every day thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, when you stop doing that, I think you stop growing. And it sounds like a platitude, but it really is true. It's quite funny. I mentioned my father earlier. He's now 93. And um, I can't believe it. He's 93. Mm -hmm. I asked him recently, I said, Dad, you know, how different are you now at 93 than you were 10 years ago? And he said, oh, my God, I'm so different. And I thought, wow, even at uh-huh. that age, we continue to grow and change. And that's probably one of the reasons he's lived to be 93. One of the things that you talk about, too, is luck and that people think of luck as just something that happens. You disagree with that. Oh, yeah. I, I, now, it's important to distinguish between fortunate chance and luck. Fortune is things that happen to you, things like your eye color or your height or where you're born or who your parents are. They're things that are out of your control. Chance, you need to take a chance. You need to roll the dice. You need to buy a lottery ticket. You need to ask someone out on a date. You need to do something. It might be a very low probability, but if you don't do anything, nothing is going to happen. Chance, you have much more agency, much more control. I mean, I'm sorry, chance, luck. Mm -hmm. And this is super important because you make your own luck. I like to think of luck as the wind that is always blowing, and it's up to you to build a sail to catch it. Oh, I love that. Let's talk about your chapter six, because this is something, this is personal to me. It's something that I grapple with, because sometimes I will refuse to give in. And in that it, the chapter's called Turbulence Ahead, and it's about knowing when to quit. So it, so in, in spite of all the opportunity that we have, in spite of making our own luck and all of the things we've talked about this morning, there's times when it's like you need to hang this particular idea up and move on. So talk to us about that. It's super difficult, isn't it, though, to mm-hmm. know when to do that because – Sometimes we're told that persistence is incredibly important and that persisting through difficult times is what separates those people who are successful from those who aren't. And so this is the tricky thing of knowing when it is that it's time to do something else, to pivot, to quit. Um, No one else can tell you when that time is. You need to listen to your gut. You know inside whether you're willing to, to do the things that are necessary to make something successful, whether it's a company, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a product. Um, One of our PhD students in our program a number of years ago did a research on when do startups, founders, sell their companies. Mm. And her insights were that um, people sell their companies not when the business is going badly or not just because there's a problem. 
it's because there's some personal thing in their life that's happened that forces them to rethink whether this is the right thing to be doing at that point. You know, they're burned out or they've had a baby or something's happened with their family that causes them to say, I'm actually ready to do something different. If you had to leave us with one thing to consider today, what would it be? Well, the overarching theme of the book and a lot of the things that I teach in my classes is that it's really up to each of us to give ourselves permission to do to craft the lives we dream of living. Um, permission to break the rules, to challenge assumptions, to make your own luck, to do the things that are important to you to get to your objectives. There are going to be lots of people around you who are going to be telling you what to do and um, giving you lots of guidance, but ultimately it's up to you to choose your own adventure and What the book includes is lots and lots of examples of people who've done this and tools for actually doing that, tools for challenging assumptions, tools for making yourself lucky, tools for breaking the rules that allow you to actually make this happen. Very good advice. Again, congratulations on the 10th anniversary and the re-release of your book, What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20, a crash course on making your place in the world. And if I wanted to get a copy of that book, where can I get it? Well, it's sold wherever books are sold. Right? <laughs> we so all know where that is, I, right? <laughs> I bet that, yes. I know people can find it easily. And one thing to keep in mind, if people go to Amazon, there is the hardcover, the original book available, as well as the new edition. And so it's really a choice which one people choose. Okay. So, so either the original one from 10 years ago or the new and improved or updated version. And your website also has some other podcasts that you've done and some other resources. Tell us about that. Exactly. On my website, which is just com. T-I-N-A-S-E-E-L-I-G.com. I have tons of other resources, podcasts, articles, videos. I also really encourage people to take a, a look at ecorner.stanford.edu. That's E-C-O-R-N-E-R.stanford.edu. It's a huge collection of videos, podcasts, articles, all about entrepreneurial leadership. And we've been doing this for um, probably 15 years, and it's an amazing archive of really powerful information. Is there a link on your tinaselig.com website to the one you just mentioned? You bet. So uh, go out to tinaselig.com, full of resources, and then her book uh, as well. You can find out more about that and, and buy that on Amazon. Tina, thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking Business Now. Thank you so much. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Talking Business Now. If you'd like to suggest podcast guests or topics or subscribe to Talking Business Now, please visit my website at interrobang.com solutions.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-O-B-A-N-G solutions.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.